Hi there, my name's Willie Russo and you're listening to Interview with an Artist, the weekly show where we speak with a range of art world players. Kathana Selvaraj is exploring her place in the world through her art, painting herself into the halls of some of the longest standing and most traditional institutions. Her self-portrait, The Green Suit, was an Archibald finalist in 2021 and a Porsche Geech finalist in 2022. I remember seeing it and there was just something about the expression on her face and the way the suit hung on her body that made me think, oh, there's so much in that. You see, Kathana paints about the experience of being in a queer brown body and trying to find her place in the world or even just see it. In today's episode of Interview with an Artist, we talk about the painting of that epic self-portrait and her mum's reaction when she saw what Kathana was wearing in it. We talk about how her artistic practice is helping her claim her place and how an approach of lifting each other up, of collaboration over competition, is surely a better way forward. Kathana is a deep thinker and such an eloquent communicator and I loved speaking with her and hearing her thoughts. I am sure you're going to love hearing her story too. Enjoy meeting Kathana Selvaraj. Kathana Selvaraj, thank you so much for joining us on Interview with an Artist. How are you today? Oh, it's my pleasure, Willie. I'm really well. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Now, you have had a cracking couple of years, I would say, looking from the outside in. <laughs> I first came across your work at the Archibald this year, and then when I dove in, you've also been a finalist at the Porsche Geech a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. This year was my second year being a finalist at the Porsche Geech, and very exciting. Uh, it was very overwhelming the first time I found out because I think it was the first major competition I was made a finalist. And it was the first time I entered the Porsche Geech as well. So, I yeah, it was really beautiful. And back then, I think there was a bit of COVID restriction rules that we didn't have an opening. And so we didn't get to actually be physically with the piece for a little while. And so when I did see it in person, I was with my partner. I just, I burst into tears and she's like, you have to remain chill. And I'm like, I've got absolutely no chill. And so I, I just cried. And actually, that piece was the piece that was also selected for the Archibald. I was going to say, did you cry? Because I can imagine it's quite an emotional thing, particularly a self-portrait is an emotional thing. And then to have it recognised and sat amongst, you know, industry peers and and a very personal self-portrait for you as well. Mm, Yeah. Highly emotional. I think that painting in particular, I painted during a time where, you know, I wasn't fully being seen. And for me, you know, the process of painting it was the first time I really saw myself, I think. And going from this like super intimate experience to suddenly sending it out to the galleries and having other people witness it and respond to it. And having those questions come up for people as well, that I'm like, I'm not prepared to fully engage with this, but very valid, you know, this was going to start a discourse or something. And so, you know, I was engaging with certain people being entitled to ask certain things. 
and other people being really aware of the space that I was talking about and the kind of the oppressive system of that space sometimes. And so we had some really interesting conversations with people who viewed the work, but yeah, highly emotional for me. And how we, what was your family's response? Oh, it's so funny because um, I painted that work in a storage space, the back of my parents' house. And there was like piles of cardboard boxes next to me and like, you know, the, the neighborhood spider just watching me. And I was, it was very, like a very quiet experience and they never really knew what, what the hell I was doing there because I kept everything locked and it was like quite private. And I remember my mom walked in and she's like, why aren't you wearing a pretty dress? Like, why, where are the pretty flowers in your hair? And why is it so masculine? And I also, again, felt like, okay, this is where the emotional labor and boundary comes in, where I'm like, I'm not going to explain it to you, but I understand why this might be uncomfortable for you. But it was interesting. Their response, you know, they don't quite get the art thing. And... (laughs) God love parents. God I know, love parents, I know. right? <laughs> Let's be diplomatic about not quite getting the out thing. But I think they understand that it's something I really need and want to do. Do you own that green suit? It's an imaginary suit. Is it? Yeah. It's not real, but it's sick, right? It's like a it's sick. It's so awesome. I know. I love it. I, I had someone ask me, hey, where did you get that suit? Because I really want it. And I'm like, I hate to tell you, I, I just made it up. I want it too. I want that suit too. And I think that's probably part of why I made it and I painted it was kind of allowing myself to visualize something I desired, something I needed, and then manifesting that through, you know, materials like oil paint and letting it be in front of me and having a self-portrait and seeing myself wear it and take up that masculine space. And I was quite big in that suit and it felt really, you know, it felt very powerful, but At the same time, you know, with that suit, I had my hands hidden away. It was like tucked into the fabric in my pockets. And in some ways, it's a kind of vulnerability as well, expressing I'm kind of holding myself in that space, tentatively not knowing exactly what I'm going to be facing here, but feeling a sense of emergent power. It is a very powerful piece and there's a very distinct look on your face. And I wonder as you're painting it, like, and you're seeing yourself so intensely, is it a tiring experience? Like, is that tiring when you're going through the painting? I wouldn't say tiring. I think it, it um, uh, maybe emotionally exhausting. Yeah, I think emotionally exhausting because I've seen that expression on my face so many times, so many times. And I, I don't think I fully acknowledged that I would minimize it a lot I'd be like you know I have to get on with this this day even though I'm feeling this I've had this experience it was really painful it was very confusing and so yeah it was emotionally exhausting but also it was the first time I kind of let myself see myself and honor that and not minimize it and say yeah it's I won't swear but I I was like wow like effing hell that was that's full on to actually let myself hold space for myself. Have you always been creative? Were you creative as a child? Art making is something that always came quite easily to me when I was younger, but I don't think I fully understood what art making meant to me back then. And 
it definitely was the first time I felt a sense of confidence in myself. And so like I saw something in myself that I couldn't necessarily articulate, but it was something that I understood was mine. Is anyone else in the family creative? Well, I, it's funny, My grand, both my grandmothers are artists. They're no longer with us, but my grandmother on my father's side studied music with Ravi Shankar, and she was a musician but also a painter. And I remember seeing her oil painting of her village. She painted it when she was like 17, and it was the most beautifully expressive thing I've ever seen. You felt like you were really there and your feet was in the water and you were in the, the wet leaves, and it was such a visceral response and I think I took away a lot from her painting style in terms of the colour and the textures. Mm. I'd say my other grandmother more of a musician but she also liked to paint as well. So in terms of my immediate family, no one really engages with a creative practice. My brother's a dentist and my sister's a teacher and um <laughs> so, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And so I'm and I'm a triplet as well. I don't know if I've mentioned that to you. Yeah. Oh my god! Okay, like <laughs> it's funny. People are like, why didn't you say this before? And it's like because it's so normalized to me. I'm like, I'm just a person that's part of a triplet. That's just all I'm known. So we're not identical, but you could probably definitely see we're related. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, that's also. Awesome. And are they creative or like? Do... <laughs> oh my god, they're gonna give me so much crap if. Okay, well. I'd say absolutely not, actually. Yeah, okay, yeah. dentist and teacher. Yeah, I wouldn't like... say creative. I think my brother's got um, more openness to creativity. I'd say okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. With the Archibald, the artist's lunch, you get to take the sitter. Did you get to take someone else? I took my partner. Oh, nice. Yeah, she came with me and, yeah, it was it's a bit of an overwhelming experience going into a, an institution like that. And, you know, it being my first time in a space like that with other artists, but other institutional heads and people in the industry. Yeah, it's an overwhelming experience, but it's also great because you just notice the tensions between people and you also notice the ease with others. So I kind of gravitated towards the ease. And there was this like beautiful artist from Victoria from Studio A and we took a photo together and had a chat and I just love their work. Like I just love mm. all the works from Studio A. And for me, the colour was really quite magical and I felt safe. I felt yes. very safe. So, yeah, it was it was a really interesting experience. It's funny that even in a room full of artists who you would think these are my people, no, no, like there's even subcultures within the people who are your people. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There's subcultures everywhere. And and I think as well, like some people you can see, you know, it's like deer in headlights. It was the first time as well. I'm like, oh, it's your first time too, isn't it? We're all terrified. But there's this lovely um, artist, Kim Lutweiler. She, um, uh, yeah. yeah, she came up to me and she was really warm and she's like, oh, I got you, you know, and it felt really nice. She's another queer artist as well. And it feel, felt really nice to be seen like that. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's the building itself is daunting. The experience itself is daunting, let alone adding the personalities in there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Do you remember the first piece you sold? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, it was the sketch I did that I sold for 30 bucks. 
And I'm so proud of it because I was like, I've made it, you know, I'm selling something. And I think it was of a, of like this stranger on a bus or something. I just sketched it and someone wanted to buy it. I'm like, oh, all right. I'll start. Done. Yeah, yeah. 30 bucks. 30 bucks in my pocket. Yeah. Are you most comfortable drawing people? Like, is that kind of where you find your ease of creativity? Yeah, I think I've always been interested in in portraiture because, you know, the person is a site for and a locus for politics, for violence, for so many different things, for tenderness, for joy, expression, all of that. And I find that very interesting. And I don't know, I it's just been something that's very natural to me, responding to people. And so I do feel comfortable and also I'm endlessly curious about people. Yeah, how we wear our experiences in the geography of our body and our face. Yes, yes, I love that, the geography of our body. I love that. And all the different bodily histories and how to uncover that or how to unlearn some of that. That's really fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, agreed. I love all that stuff too. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do to get out of a creative funk? Just wallow in self-pity for a while, I think. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I think it's okay to be in a funk and not have the urgency to get out of it. I think it's okay to just accept, acknowledge and sit with it like, and know it will pass and not to resist it too much. It's almost like sitting alongside it and going, well, yeah, there's space for you, but I'm going to create another space for something else and be curious about that space more today. Do you find your work with art therapy is a bit of a, um, does it help disconnect from your own personal artistic practice or does it kind of help ease it along? Mm. Well, see, art therapy is not, you know, I'm not the centre of that space, right? Like I'm holding space for someone else's story and for someone else's processing. And so I take myself out of that completely. And so for me, they are quite separate things. But Mm. in terms of the materiality being something that you can reimagine and you can use to reimagine your identity and yourself, the potential for it to sort of subvert things that are toxic or to reassemble or reemerge, for me, that's what I take away from my art, Mm. art therapy is I understand the potential materiality to sort of augment self narrative, I think. Who's your biggest fan? I'd have to say my partner, Vicky, she's number one. She's a bit of a hard ass, but she's so beautiful. Like she really gives me space to see myself again and to like know I can take risks. It's okay to get rejected, but I have a soft place to land. And I think that's that's really meaningful to me. Oh, go Vicky. Go that Vicky. Like, go Vicky. <laughs> um, how do you deal with your inner critic? Oh, she's always there I just tell her you know have a cup of tea just chill out just chill you don't have to always be on (laughs) and so I think just being playful with it and being well it's kind of probably emerged out of internalized oppressive systems and me being in a queer brown body sort of navigating the world and not really always knowing how to locate myself sometimes ties into that critic because the critic's like, you can't do it because that's only for white people. And so I tell her to shut shut up, but also I give her a hug because she's a little traumatised. You're like, babe, we're going to the Archibald lunch this year. I know, like- <laughs> I know. Like, let's just soak this up and feel some of that joy 
you know? Yeah. Are you feeling like you're starting to feel seen or you're starting to find your place in the art world here or is it still early days? I think it's it's early days. I, I definitely feel like I'm bearing witness to a lot and I'm trying to unlearn a lot of things. And so for me, the art scene, you know, of course we know it's patriarchal in the sense that we operate in a space that's a big boys club and certain bodies are marked for success, certain bodies are marked for suffering and we kind of see it as this understanding of what people can and can't do. And for me it's just letting myself slowly by slowly challenge that and give myself permission for joy in that space, not just talking about the suffering of my brown queer body but talking about how I reclaim joy as um, advocacy for myself, but also um, understanding it as this radical act for my ancestors who maybe never got to explore what joy might have been like. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like we are in a bit of a shift at the moment in terms of, um, you know, how we as a society approach things, the issues that we're starting to give light to and air to, people's consciousness of, you know, the truth behind certain things that have gone on and how we work together to fix those or rectify that or help everyone live a really nice life. Yeah. Like, you know, that's let's right. just everyone live a really li- nice life, but how do we do that and how do we? That's such an important question because it's like we want harmony ultimately, but we also want, I think what I'm noticing is institutions trying to negotiate this idea of, um, noticing their complicity but also wanting to lean into advocacy as well and it's crunchy edges like my art therapist teacher used to say that she's like it's just crunchy edges and how do we soften those edges to create a collective consciousness that wants the same thing change is always difficult right and there has been such a mentality of for one person to win or for one group to win someone has to lose Mm. That actually doesn't have to be the case. Mm, that's true. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's also it's it, it creates this sort of um, urgency that there's only a small slot and a certain amount of power, and and you can't access it if someone's got it, and you have to either claw each other's eyes out and fight to the death. And then maybe someone can emerge on top. And, and that's the whole thing, even within my community. It's like this idea of um, understanding power hoarding, but trying to challenge that by going, no, I want to lift everyone up with me. And there's space for all of us and to not be afraid of asking for space and claiming, reclaiming space. Yeah. Yeah, that claiming bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, that's just as hard as the asking for it. It's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard, but I think it's okay again to sit in discomfort. Like it's, mm. I think the whole thing about having those conversations where people are like, I will, I want us all to be happy, is about also acknowledging it's going to be uncomfortable. Those conversations, and it's okay. That's okay. Yeah. If you could spend one day in the studio with any other artist, dead or alive. Who would it be? Oh my god, that's really hard. I love Pushpamala and her work. She's kind of like a performance photographer, and she did this series with this British uh, photojournalist to create. It was called Native Women of South India or something, and she posed with like those measuring instruments they used to do those anthropological kind of measuring instruments, 
And she basically is talking about the representation um, by reenacting this representation that it's always been a stereotype. And so she's just really fascinating. She's from Bangalore, which is, well, she lives there now, which is where my mum's from. But she's like this fierce feminist as well. So I just, I love her work. But I also love Salman Tour's um, paintings because he really illuminates the mundane. And so you know, his work highlights like queer friendships and the oscillation between power and passivity and violence and tenderness. And so I'm also interested in those things. And so that's, yeah, I think between those two, I mean, I would love both of them there. Like, can we just have two? <laughs> I was going to say, everybody in. Everybody in. <laughs> What's one thing in your studio you can't go without? My enormous selection of teas, I think. Mm. <laughs> is that a is that a good artist answer? Oh my god, I love it. Yes, because yes. It totally <laughs> is. If you had like what's your top three teas? I love jasmine green tea and I love it's called buttermint. It's like it's like a basic bee twinings um tea. <laughs> but it's called buttermint and it's just like this delightful creamy peppermint tea. Um, I also love really florally things like lavender and um, just herbal teas are just my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. What was your last art store splurge? Oh, it's always oil paint. It's so funny because whenever I reach for like a series six or something, um, the shop attendant's like, "Um, just letting you know, this is a bit expensive. And I always found that interesting because I'm like, yeah, I know this is why I'm here like only once every three months. <laughs> but thank you for your concern. Yeah, thank but... you so much for your concern. But I need this vibrant magenta. And um maybe a couple of weeks ago, because I'm just starting a new body of work and I wanted to get like all the colours. And so I I'd say a couple of weeks ago I spent quite a bit on canvases and, and oil paints. And someone was telling me like the reds are quite, the reds and the pinkies, they're expensive. So expensive, but aren't they just delicious? Oh, <laughs> so luscious and beautiful. And I love using pinks and reds in my work. Um, sometimes just the pure pigment without mixing it. I just, I just slap it on and I'm like, that's all we need. We just need you. We just need that. <laughs> just that. Just pure and yeah, beautiful. Vibrant, I love that's it. That's right. <laughs> what do you wish someone had told you before you'd got into the art world you don't need to be legitimized by the institution yeah like you don't need to be you can let yourself but you don't need to be it's not an essential part of being an artist yeah Yeah. that is awesome where would you like to see your art take you over the next couple of years you know, I just want the freedom to be able to, you know, I haven't, I've only recently had the space now to be able to create larger bodies of work. So I just want the freedom to be able to explore all these ideas that have emerged that have probably fermented in my body for a long time as well. And just the freedom to explore that. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm really interested in liminal spaces and queer domesticity and kind of taking up space in places where you don't have that pressure to sort of um, be part of heteronormativity or to negotiate heteronormativity, right? It's like a space where you can be at ease. Um, and so I'm interested in in works that kind of sit alongside that. Yeah. 
Oh my goodness. Kathana, thank you so much for joining us on Interview with an Artist. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you and I so look forward to seeing where your work takes you next. Oh, Willie, this has been really lovely. Thank you so much.